Well, Merry Christmas, church. We're glad that you guys joined us this evening. This is our fourth and final uh, Christmas, tr- Christmas service here at, uh, at Tiffin Grace. And we've had a blast uh, so far and a blast earlier today. Um, but Christmas, I mean, it's one of those holidays that, uh, I mean, it's, it's like the big one. You know what I mean? Like for a lot of us, it's our favorite, it's our favorite holiday we got. Uh, part of that, I think, at least for me, is it kind of brings me back to childhood. And I think that's why I kind of like it. Any of you guys like that? as well. Like, I don't know, there's just some childhood feeling that kind of comes along with Christmas. This is Christmas spirit. Because when you're a kid, I mean, Christmas, it's like, you know, the Super Bowl of all holidays. It's the big one. And you wait for it all year. And uh, I think that kind of carries over into adult life. And because of that, we all do, you know, our things. We, we do our Christmas traditions. We listen to our Christmas music. We get into the Christmas spirit, in theory. And, uh, and we even decorate our houses for Christmas. We put up the trees, the wreaths, the, the garland, you know, wherever that came from, the lights. And uh, a lot of us, we even have uh, nativity scenes. How many of you guys have a nativity scene in your house? You guys put this up? Okay, so a lot of us. Um, it's interesting, uh, nativity scenes in general, usually like this one, they're, they're glass or porcelain or something. And so what inevit- inevitably ends up happening is uh, Joseph's head will break off and a piece of a staff will break off. And then you got this like broken nativity set. Then you don't know what to do with it because you, you can't like, you know, throw away Jesus. And so you just kind of keep it boxed up and it's in your basement or your attic. And that's just kind of where it lives until we die, I guess. I don't know exactly how that all works. But um, but yeah, we, we have this nativity set. And it's interesting because this isn't exactly how um, the first Christmas actually was, which is, you know, really what it represents, right? I mean, the first Christmas didn't actually have snow. Do you realize that? Some of you guys are like, what? You can't take snow out of Christmas, but yes, we can. Um, yeah, there was no snow, at least not in Bethlehem, at least. So we could get rid of the snow and get all that out of there. Um, the uh, Christmas, you know, the first Christmas at least, they also didn't have Christmas trees, okay, with glitter and everything that's all over me um, now. And so we didn't have any of that, so we could get rid of those. Christmas trees didn't come along until way after Jesus uh, was born. Um, what else we got? We got the uh, three wise men, okay, contrary to popular belief. The wise men were not actually there the night that Jesus was born. And, uh, and so they weren't there. So we could get rid of all these guys. Uh, they actually came about a year later after Jesus was born. And because they weren't there, their fancy camel was also not there. All right, so we could get rid of him. Um, as we're looking at it, the, uh, there was no, you know, they, obviously they didn't have Christmas lights decorating their little stable, so we could get rid of those. Those weren't a part of it. Uh, the angel was there, or at least an angel was there, um, but only appeared to the shepherds, right? So the angel didn't appear to uh, Joseph or, or Mary on Jesus's, the night that Jesus was born, and so we could get rid of the angel. She wasn't, he or she wasn't looking down on baby Jesus, and uh, and also the shepherds, they were there, right? These guys did come and, and worship Jesus, but they were only there for a little bit amount of time, okay? They weren't there for very long. They were out at night, and then they came, they found Jesus, they celebrated, and then they, they left celebrating even more. And so uh, those guys weren't there. The star, a lot of us, we have this idea, you know, of, of Christmas is like, uh, you know, the giant star hovering over the little stable and looking down and shining like a ray of light onto Jesus. Well, the star, the wise men were following the star, and that, you know, again, wasn't until like a year later or so. 
Um, what else we got here? Okay, let's be real here. Okay, so a lot of you guys have been parents and stuff like that, but um, there's no way, right, if you're a parent like me, that there was a donkey, you know, a foot away from a baby Jesus, you know, the, morning, the night that Jesus was born. There's just no way Mary or Joseph allowed that for sure. It's kind of funny because that's how we set up our nativity scenes, right? Like they're, like this one, just laying down, just like gently looking down upon baby Jesus. That didn't happen. Okay, let's just be real. Um, that, uh, that wasn't there. And the other thing is that uh, with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, the Bible never says that there was a stable at all. We know that Mary laid Jesus in the manger, but um, that probably was outside. Or if it was indoors, it was probably within a cave or something where animals stayed. And so really that's gone. And so what are we left with? How the real, Chris, or how the real first Christmas actually went, it was actually just Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus for most of the night. And so that's, that's what it was. And some of these Things were added by tradition. Some of it, you know, comes from our culture and stuff like that. But here's the deal. Sometimes when we jumble it all up, it's hard to remember how much of a big deal Jesus' birth was all by itself. And so roughly 2,000 years ago, an uneducated, lower middle class, old, old man decided to sit down one day and write about it. Now, John, wasn't, his name was John, and he wasn't there actually, you know, at Jesus' actual birth because John was a few years younger than Jesus, and so uh, John was, um, you know, obviously not born yet. But John was arguably Jesus' best friend, at least according to John, and I, we could probably take him at his word. Uh, John had spent years with Jesus, and he had heard the things that Jesus said, and he had seen the things that Jesus did. I mean, John got to witness uh, Jesus perform miracles and do miracles with his own eyes, and he was there with Jesus when he was hungry and tired, and he watched Jesus laugh, and he saw when Jesus was angry, and he was there when, when Jesus was arrested, and even watched as Jesus died. And so at the end of John's life, he decides to sit down and write what he saw and knew about Jesus' life. And he's actually uh, not the first guy to, to do so. Uh, by the time John, he sits down and he writes his account of Jesus' life, there's already three other accounts. Uh, the first one was Matthew. Matthew was also a contemporary of John. Matthew was a disciple, kind of like John was, and so he was an eyewitness to all these things that Jesus said and that Jesus did as well. And so Matthew writes down his account. He had done this years before John did, and he writes it mostly to the Jewish people. Uh, you also had an account that was written by a guy named Mark. Uh, when Jesus was out doing his thing and was doing his ministry, um, Mark was probably a young teenager at, the, at that point. He was, he was a kid. And so he grew up and he uh, wrote down the things that, that, you know, maybe some of the things that he even saw and heard Jesus said. And he wrote that in his account. Uh, there's also an account by a guy named Luke. Luke was actually a Greek doctor who um, kind of separated himself. And he, uh, Luke, he um, investigated and he interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses around him who saw what Jesus said and did. And so he took all that and kind of uh, put it all together. And he wrote his account of Jesus' life. And then here's John, again, at the end of his life, writing his account of Jesus' life. And it's interesting because John doesn't start with the Christmas story, which you would think is where it would all begin, right? Jesus, you know, being born and as a little baby. 
He doesn't talk about the shepherds or the manger or, you know, there's no room for them at the end or anything like that. He doesn't even talk about Mary and Joseph. He doesn't talk about his grandparents either. He doesn't talk about his genealogy like Matthew does. All right, what John does, and it's so crazy, John goes all the way back to the beginning, really to the beginning of time. This is how he starts off in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, uh, to a lot of us, especially, you know, if you've been attending for the last few weeks, this should sound familiar to us because this is what we've been looking at for the last few weeks here at Grace. Uh, This is actually how the Bible begins, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. This is what John does. John goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Again, something that we've been looking at where we have talked about how God created this, like, perfect place. I mean, it was perfect. There is no sickness, there is no fighting, no frustration, no guilt, no shame, no growing old, no back pain, no like freezing cold temperatures, which would be so nice, you know, none of that. There was not even death. And so God created this perfect home, and then he created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in it. And he created them perfect as well. And it's even more than that. God had a perfect relationship with his creation. He had a perfect relationship with Adam and Eve that they would come and they would just hang out with each other. I mean, picture that for just a second. How would it be if like every evening at, I don't know, 7 o'clock, right, it's like, oh, for the next hour I put away and I get all the worries out of my mind and I don't think about anything else. I just get to spend an hour with God every day. Like that would be awesome. Right? You could talk to him about whatever you want to talk to him about. You could ask him whatever question might be on your mind, whatever questions you might have for him. I mean, you could, I mean, I mean it would just be a great hour that you could have every day with your creator. You'd have the, a great relationship with God. That's what Adam and Eve had. But then mankind, we chose to do life our way instead of God's way. And we rebelled against God. And that perfect, real, intimate, personal relationship that we had with our creator was suddenly broken. Because God can't be with sin. And suddenly, the Bible tells us, the world was a very dark, dark place. And we have a sin problem. It's a big problem. As you continue reading the book of Genesis, right at the the very beginning, what we see is we see the first family just splinter apart. And as they realize, you know, what they've done, and even God comes down, he confronts them, and they have to witness death for the first time in their life. And, and they, I think, begin to understand how different their lives will be from this point forward. And you know what God does? God gives them hope. It's the first good news ever uttered, really, in the, in the history of the world. It's actually a ray of light in this sudden, dark, dark world. And what God tells them, and he says, here, here's the deal, Adam and Eve. Someday I will send a child. Someday a child will be born that will crush Satan and that will fix your sin problem. And so what's interesting about the book of John is that's where John begins, right? He starts really, actually, technically, it's before all of that, before Adam and Eve sinned and before Adam and Eve were even created and before the earth was even created. He starts... At the very beginning, he's saying, in the very beginning was the, and I bet he paused. He's trying to figure out, okay, what word should I use? Like, how do I describe him? He's thinking, he's thinking, he actually picks the word, word, which is kind of weird. Right? He's talking about the words that Jesus spoke. He's talking about the truth that he spoke. He's, he's kind of connecting Jesus with the truth of his words. Now, notice what he doesn't say. 
He doesn't say in the beginning was a word, right? In the beginning was an opinion, or in the beginning was a truth. It might not be your truth because your truth might not be my truth, and we might have different truths. That's not what he's saying. No, no, no. He says, in the beginning was the word, meaning in the beginning was the truth, and it was God's words. It was actually the same words that God used to speak everything into existence. That's how he chose to do it, through words. And so that's where John begins. He's like, that's perfect. All right, in the beginning was the word, was the truth, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, if you're like me and you're reading this, you're like, okay, okay, well, well, I, I don't understand what this means. How could you be with God and also be God? Like, like, how could the word be with God and be God at the same time? Like, I don't understand. And I just want to say, of course not, because you ain't smart enough, okay? Either am I, all right? Uh, that's just not how it works. There's no human language that can fully describe God. And there's no human that can fully understand God. You know why? He's too big. All right, we can't. We can't get it. Like, our minds are struggling here. And I bet John, as he's writing this, I bet John is struggling here because he's just, like, sitting there and he's just like, how do I describe this? Like, he's too big. Like, he's boggling my mind. There's not enough words. There's not the right words. They don't exist to fully describe who he is. And it's interesting because I think maybe in the next, in the next verse, I think he kind of starts over. He's like, okay, so in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, that was... Hard to understand in and of itself. And then he's like, let me, let me try again in verse 2. He says, and he, meaning Jesus, or how he describes the word, he says, and he was with God in the beginning, which he's already said that, and all things, by the way, were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And so here he is, right? He's saying, right, God was there in the beginning. And he's saying this is a big deal, right? It's interesting because people, you know, you know, there's people all over the place where, you know, we believe that nothing happened to nothing and out came something. Like, that's how the world works. And what you're doing there is, no matter what, like every single one of us in this room, whether, you know, you're not too sure about this whole God thing, you just don't know where you're at, and that's, you know, if that's you, that's, that's fine. But what you're doing is you're putting your faith in something, okay? Every single person is putting their faith in something, no matter what. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just how it is, all right? It's just, it's just, it's just true. Either you are, um, either the universe was created itself by chance, right? And you got faith in that, or there was a designer and you have faith in that. No matter what, you got faith in something. And so here, what John's saying is he's saying, yo, all right, all things, not some things, not those things, not these things. He's saying all things were created through him, meaning Jesus created everything. By the way, that also means. That you are no accident. That means he created you. Right? You didn't climb out of some soup millions of years ago through a series of processes. Here you are, sitting in an old truck dealership in Tiffin, Ohio on Christmas Eve. All right? That's, that, that, that's not how it worked, right? Meaning you were created by God on purpose. He created you, uniquely you. By the way, you were created by God for a real deep relationship with him. That's what we see in the book of Genesis. Like, that's why we were created. Like, somewhere deep inside of you, there's something that kind of longs out, I think, that longs for that. And so uh, the, our, our sin is what has separated us from him. Our sin, that's what has broken our relationship with him. And that's what has brought in darkness. And that's, unfortunately, what has brought in death. But, John says... In him was life, 
And that life was a light of men. He says, and that light, again, he's trying to describe Jesus. He's trying to describe who exactly he is. He's like, he's the light, man. Like, like that's what he is. I don't know how else to say it. He's the word. He's the light. All right, it's all the same thing. He created everything. He's the creator. He says, and that light that he is, it shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. By the way, the darkness tried. Do you realize that? The uh, sto- part of the Christmas story that nobody ever wants to talk about um, is uh, it, it's happened about a year later when the, the, the wise men came. They actually saw like a star in the east and they had the Old Testament. So they were looking through and they, and they were studying that stuff and, and they were counting down the days because God had actually told the Jewish people about the time when Jesus would be born. And so they, they realized, oh, this is the time there's a star. He's like, hey, this future king that's supposed to be the savior of the world, whatever that means, all right, this future king is born. And so we need to go and let's go find this, this, this baby. And so they begin this like, you know, Months and months of journeying to get to the Israel area. And uh, when they get there, all right, they go straight to Jerusalem because that's kind of the capital city. That's where the temple is and everything like that. And so when they get there, uh, they go straight to King Herod, who happens to be, he's not technically a king. It's just kind of his title. He's a governor of the area of Israel for Rome because Rome owns everybody at this point in history. So they go to King Herod, and they're like, hey, King Herod, how you doing? Okay. Hey, we're here to find your king. Where's the king? He was supposed to be born maybe about a year ago. You know, do you know where he's at? And this is news to King Herod. He's never heard anything about this. And so he's like, what? And so they're like, yeah, it's right here in the Bible. Check it out. And so he, you know, he calls in the religious leaders, and he's going, hey, guys, uh, there's supposed to be a future king. Where's this king supposed to be born? These guys are looking for him. And they're looking at their, they're like, uh, oh, right here. It says right here in the Old Testament, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, which is only just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And so uh, King Herod says, okay, all right, wise men, this is what we're going to do. I see you guys, you know, you guys are going to go worship the king. That's totally cool, all right, although I'm the king too. And uh, what I want you, you guys go give them your gifts. You got some really nice gifts here. They're going to love it. Okay, you guys go give the gifts. But then I want you to come back and report to me, and I want you to tell me where he is and exactly where he is and who his parents are and everything that you can find out because uh, I want to worship him too. And they're standing there, and they're just like, right, King Herod, okay, you want to worship him too, this baby king, I'm sure you do. And so they leave, and they go, and they happen to find Jesus in Bethlehem, and they get there, and they worship him, they give him these presents and stuff like that. That's where presents came from. And, uh, and then they decide not to go back to King Herod because they're like, that dude is up to no good. We don't trust him. And he's probably going to try to kill Jesus. And so let's get out of here. And they actually go back home a different way. Now, when Herod finds out that these guys didn't come and report back to him, basically they completely disobeyed him and slipped away, he is furious. And so he orders that every child, two years, two years old, actually it's every boy child, male child, two years old, old and younger, in the town of Bethlehem, he orders them all slaughtered. And the soldiers go and they massacre all these kids. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they actually have to flee. They get out of there and head to Egypt. See, the darkness tried to kill the light, but it couldn't do it. And so John here John goes on. He's trying to get us to understand. He's like, man, it tried, but it couldn't do it. And he, meaning Jesus, was in the world. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says he was in the world, and the world was actually created through him. I mean, he owns the world, and yet the world did not even recognize him, even though he had told them that he's coming. 
And he came to his own people. His own people did not receive him. They missed it. The Jewish people who he had written for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years saying, hey, this is going to happen throughout the entire Old Testament and prophet after prophet after prophet saying, hey, someone's coming. Hey, the child's coming. Hey, the, the one's coming. And they completely miss it. And it's even more embarrassing. Like even these wise men, these foreigners, they got it. But his own people, they just miss it. And then a few verses later, John, it's like he tries to recalibrate. He's like, okay, let me try this. Let me try this again. And he tries to word Jesus' birth even in, in an even different way. He says, check it out. Maybe this way. And this is probably one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. He says, and the word became flesh. Became somebody. Became a person. Became human, let's say. And dwelt among us. He's saying God of the, of the universe came to us came down to us. You know, I've said this before here, but this is how I picture it, and, you know, this probably isn't at all how it went, but it may have. Who knows, okay? Um, but I picture it as, like, Jesus, he's up in heaven. He's doing his thing, all right? And he's, like, counting down the time. He's like, all right, it's time. And he, like, you know, he's like, everybody okay, quiet. Let me, I'm making announcements. He's like, I'm going, I'm going in. And they're like, all the angels are like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? You're going down. You're going down there? And he's like, yep, I'm going to become one of them. And they're just like, look at it, though. It's so dark and dirty and sinful and nasty. Jesus, if you're going down there, don't, don't touch anything, you know, while you're down there. You know, like, like that. See, Christmas is a lot more than just presents and spending time with family and Christmas trees and nativity sets. By the way, Christmas... It's a lot more than Mary or Joseph either. It's not about them. In fact, every person who had anything to do with this child actually became a footnote in his story. See, again, sometimes when we jumble all this up, it's hard to remember how much of a big deal Jesus' birth was all by itself. See, it was in this time, in this place... In this moment of history that God comes to a teenage girl through an angel and says, Hey, Mary, I know of all your, your, your big plans you have for your wedding, but I'm about to blow all that up. And I know that you have this plan, you're going to you know, marry Joe and you guys are going to go up, move to Nazareth and you know, you're going to raise a family there someday. Yeah, I'm going to blow all that up too. And, and an angel comes to, you know, God through an angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, you know, I know you have these plans. You're going to marry Mary and, and maybe you'll wait a couple of years and then you'll have kids and, you know, you'll enjoy your single life for a while. But he's like, I'm about to blow all that up. That's not going to happen how you plan on it happening. And see, every person, again, who lives or whose lives intersected with, with this child would become a footnote in his story. Even like religious leaders all the way down to sick people and even children and soldiers and governors, even Caesar himself would become a footnote in that child's story. See, Jesus wasn't a religious leader. That's where we go wrong. 
See, even in our own lives, what do we do? We reduce Jesus to be a tattoo on our arm or a cross around our neck, kind of like a good luck charm, like an insurance thing. It's almost like a backup plan. And it's like he's like a, like a spare tire in the trunk of the car. We don't know exactly where it's at because we've never used it before. But it, we know that it, you know, if we get in trouble, we can, we can figure it out. Like he's there somewhere. It's like a last resort for a lot of us. And so John, he's trying to get us to understand. He's like, no, 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 you don't. You don't. You don't get it. He is so much more than that. You got to understand, he was the light that finally, after hundreds, really thousands of years, shone through a dark, dark, dark world. And then John, as an old man, and probably memories are just flooding in, he finishes his thought. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's like, and I observe. He's like, we observe. I saw it. Like I watched it with my own eyes. Like I was, I was there. I got to see Jesus. I, I knew him. He says, we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, God orchestrated all of history for this moment, that first Christmas. It was a rescue mission. I was thinking about it this week, and I know this is a very weird example, okay? So we understand each other, okay? Um, but I was thinking about it this week. Here uh, at our church here in Tiffin, we, um, every fall, like, I've, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. We have, like, house flies up to wazoo, okay? They're just everywhere. Like, I don't know, there's just when they, they multiply like crazy because there's just thousands of them. Um, and, uh, and so they're all over the place. Sometimes I'm even sitting in meetings and they're like hitting me in the forehead. I don't know why, it's super embarrassing. And it's just like, come on, okay? So we got these flies everywhere. It happens every fall. And um, we got a janitor, okay? His name is Aiden. He is a high school kid. He comes and what he does, because the flies all go to, like, the windows because they're trying to get outside and they're so close but not too close and, you know, like that type of thing. And so he goes and he gets the, he gets the vacuum, the hose, and he sucks them all up, okay? And he, we even have a fly count here. And so we count how many flies we have killed. And so we're, like, trying to kill as many flies as we possibly can. And Aiden sucks them all up and it's really good. And, uh, and this was probably our best year yet. And so he could go and suck up, like, 200 flies. It's not a problem. And so he, so he does that. And let's pretend, which I don't, all right? Let's pretend I really love the flies, and I really care about the flies, and let's pretend I really wanted to save the flies, which I don't. I want them all dead, okay? Let's say I walked into a room that Aiden's going in next, and there's flies at the windows, and they're, you know, again, they're trying to crawl out, but they can't. And I go in there, and I say, hear ye, hear ye, all you flies. Aiden, I just watched, come into the building. He just pulled up. He's coming in the building. He's going to go to the closet. He's going to grab the vacuum. He's going to pull out that hose. He's going to plug it in. He's going to turn it on. He's going to suck you guys up. And there's going to be fly legs and parts and pieces and wings and stuff like that flying all over the place. And so if you guys don't want to die, all right, you follow me. I will lead you to safety. I will take you to a place where Aiden will never find you. Okay? If I went into a room and said that out loud, what would happen? Nothing, right? I mean, I'm not like going to have a bunch of flies following me. They can't understand me. I cannot communicate with a fly. Hopefully no one would ever hear me doing that because that would be super awkward and weird. And so if I went in there, nothing would happen because I can't communicate with a fly. If I wanted to save the flies, and if, I, if this was even possible, if I wanted to communicate with a fly, 
I'd have to become a fly. And I have to go grow up in the little fly village, wherever that is. If I could find the fly village, you know, that would be a different story. I would like to find that, but I don't know where it's at. All right? I would have to grow up in the little fly village and I have to learn fly things. And I have to learn how to fly like a fly and learn how to climb up walls like a fly and all that kind of stuff. And when, one day, when the time is right, I'd have to, you know, gather up all my little fly buddies and I have to say, hey, fly buddies, all right, this is what we're going to do. Attention all flies. Aiden just pulled up. He is going to go get the vacuum. He's going to suck all of us up. You guys just follow me. I will lead you to safety. And then maybe I get a few. Now, that's not exactly what Jesus did, right? Right? Right. But it's kind of close, all right? He became one of us. He stooped down to our level, became one of us to save us. See, he's God. And he left his throne to come down into the darkness for us. Meaning he became killable for us. And that's what Tron's trying to get us to understand. See, he even talks about this even at the end of his book. This is how he starts off. This is kind of how he ends. At the end of his book, John, he's trying to tell us the reason why he's even writing the book of John. And he says this. He says, Jesus, in chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which is him, including him, that are not written in this book. In fact, later on, uh, the next chapter, the last chapter, he even says, man, if you took all the books in the world, that could not contain all the things that Jesus said and did that I got to see. Like, like there's just so much stuff. Right? But he says, but the ones that I wrote down, or these that are written, I wrote so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is actually the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, he's saying, he's telling us right up front. He's saying, hey, here's, here's the reason why I'm writing, you guys. This is why I'm sitting down and writing this account of who Jesus is. I'm writing so that you may believe. I'm not writing so that you may have some suggestions on how you can be a better person. Or I'm not writing so that, you know, here's some tips and tricks of how to be a better parent. Or here's some life hacks of how to achieve your goals, become successful in this life, God's way, whatever that means. No, he's saying, I'm writing you so that you may choose to believe so that you can be saved. See, Jesus is a king who allows us to decide. He invites. He never forces and when we choose not to submit to the king, really what we're doing is we're choosing not to participate in his kingdom in this life or the next. Which means if I opt out, I miss out. This is what I want to do as we close tonight. And we don't ever do this. Um, but let's all, real quick, let's, I'm just going to ask a couple questions. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads real quick. Um, here's my first question. How many of you are, let's say, 100%? Meaning that you know that you know that you know that you know that at some point in your life, you have actually given your life over to Jesus. Like you have surrendered to him, that you have started and began that relationship with him. And you are 100%. I'm not saying you're 80% or 90% or pretty sure. I'm saying you are 100% that you have given your life over to him, that you've surrendered to him, if you would, if you just slip your hand up real quick. All right, all right, put your hands down. Next question. How many of you 
if you're completely honest with yourself, man, you just don't know. Like, like, I mean, you're a pretty good person. And yeah, you pray to him sometimes, you know, and you try to do that more and you try to be a good person at work and at home and, and you know, you go to church sometimes and, and, you know, you got all that stuff going. So you're like, well, that should count for something. But, but besides all that, you're like, man, I, you know, I hope my good stuff outweighs my bad. Like, like I'm not 100%, but maybe I'm like hovering, you know, 85% or, or maybe... You're being honest with yourself maybe more than you have in a long time. You're just like, you know what? I don't know. If you would, just slip your hand up real quick. All right, with our eyes closed, here's the deal. You can put your hands down. If that's you today, and if you just raised your hand, the Bible tells us that you could know. The Bible tells us that you can know 100% today that you have that relationship with Jesus. The Bible says all you have to do is you got to surrender your life to him. And there's a couple things maybe that you got to understand, right? This is what we call the good news. This is what we call the gospel. That's that you're, you are a sinner just like me. We are messed up. We are jacked up. We are horrible, terrible people. Like that's just the reality of it. That is just true. And God, unfortunately for us, is 100% just. He is perfectly just, meaning he has to punish sin. He has to. That is the rightful, just thing for him to do. Which is bad news for us, because that means even if we just sin against him once, I mean, we deserve punishment. But 2,000 years ago, God came and he dwelt among us. And yeah, a lot of people missed it. But he came, and he lived a perfect life, and we actually ended up putting him to death. And when we did that, right, when he died, he died as the perfect sacrifice, meaning what he did on the cross is he took upon all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our punishment that we rightfully deserve, and he took it himself. We didn't deserve it in any way. We didn't earn it in any way. It's not like our good stuff outweighs our bad at all. We just don't understand how bad our bad is. And so when he did, the Bible tells us that we have the opportunity to receive that free gift. That's what the Bible describes it as a free gift. All we got to do is surrender our lives to him. We got to start that relationship. By the way, it's that relationship, that personal relationship that we were created to have from the beginning of time in the perfect world that he had set up somewhere deep inside of us. And so if that's you tonight, and you're just like, man, okay, I, I, I'm ready. I want to do that. Like, I, I want to be 100%. I'm tired of hovering around 80%. Like, I want to I I be there. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Then I invite you to pray something like this. It's super simple. It's not about a certain amount of words. It's not about, you know, specific words or at all. It's just, it's really about your heart. Something like this. Dear God, I, dear Jesus, I, I believe I believe that 2,000 years ago, you came and you died for me, and I didn't earn it. You didn't owe that to me. You didn't have to. You did it, and I don't even understand why. You did it because you loved me, sure, but I don't understand why you even loved me that much. And that cost you. It became killable for me. 
and God, I, I, I want you in my life. I want to give my life over to you. I want to surrender my life to you. And I'm going to do that right here, right now, today. Thank you. Amen. You guys can look up here, but here's what the Bible tells us. Is if, if you made that decision today, maybe for the first time, first time maybe you're genuine in your heart. The Bible says that there's a party going on in heaven for you right now because you were once lost, the Bible describes, and now you are found. And that once you were in darkness, and now you're in light. That's how the Bible describes it. See, 2,000 years ago, heaven met earth in a way that no one could have imagined. God came to rescue us. And a bunch of people missed it, but he came to rescue us. And he was that light, as John's describing, in a dark, dark world. And that's actually what Christmas is all about. Let's pray real quick. God, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for, for coming down. As John said, you came and you dwelt among us. You came into the darkness, into the dirt. You were born in the dirt. To be with us, to try to communicate to us, to follow you, to do life your way as our creator. And God, we thank you so much for doing that. We thank you, not just that, but you paid our price. You paid our punishment. You took that on yourself. And in one swoop, it's like you, you satisfied your perfect justice and you also satisfied your perfect love for us. And God, we thank you for that. We cannot thank you enough. Lord, if there's anybody in here who has not made that decision, Yet we ask that they would make that today because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, you don't owe us tomorrow. Help us to remember that. As we begin all our Christmas stuff and we got all that stuff, everything going on this weekend and tomorrow. And help us to remember the real reason for the season. We thank you for Jesus' name. Amen.